Hey everybody, welcome to the Isaac and Amy show. This is your host Isaac and I'm here with my beautiful wife, Amy. Hey, so good to be on talking with you today. Yeah, and today I just have tons of thoughts about Apple. Uh, it's June 3rd and WWDC was today and they announced their new Mac Pro uh, with a new display. You may or may not have watched the yeah. the, the video stream. Yeah, you may or may not have watched day. the key, keynote. We were watching, watching it live. We've got tons of thoughts about um, just kind of Apple's vision of prosumer and professional computing. Uh, we got to see a lot of that today. And we're kind of just going to jump right in. Uh, with, uh, and I'll give a little bit of a preface. So I'm a software developer. I do both design and development. I used to have one of the older style cheese grater Mac Pros. I used that for a long time. And now I'm solely on a MacBook Pro because the trash can didn't really meet the needs that I had for it. And I am a designer and an audio engineer as well as a video editor. And so I've also worked on the older generations Mac Pro as well as the current model MacBook Pro. And so basically we're at a little bit of a like an interesting situation where it seems like Apple is continuing to focus on what they think of as their premier professional market. And I would say it's squarely audio engineers and video professionals. And yet what was interesting is Craig Federighi, he talked about how um, developers were Apple's number one prosumer market. And yet, so little thought, I think, has been given to the developer community in terms of their pro products. Mm. Uh, we can talk about keyboards for, like, hours. And then I think the second side of it is just the, <clears throat> if you want, like, a classical PC experience with a Mac, something that you can upgrade that's going to last for a long period of time, your barrier of entry is now $6,000. Oh, my goodness. Which is pretty ridiculous. And that's, like, a, a base-level... That's the new Mac Pro. It starts at 6K. It's slightly taller, slightly wider, um, and not as long as... An inch. Yeah, it's less. an inch shorter yeah. as the, the previous cheese grater. Uh, it's got this weird, trippy, if you've got triphobia or if you see alien heads and everything, you're going to look at the front of this guy. <laughs> it's going to freak you out. And you're just going to freak out and not want to purchase it at all. Maybe that's what <laughs> Apple's going for, trying to limit the market segment, not just by the price, but also by the design. Uh, you can buy this Pro Display XDR for an extra five grand. Beautiful display, don't get me wrong. And the mechanical function of, of the Epic stand that costs another thousand dollars oh my gosh so it's six thousand dollars basically to get the whole thing yeah so it's 6k to get a display with a stand so they're selling a display without a stand yes no no no. and the funny thing is at the bottom of the page for the display it's you know it shows what comes in the box it shows a display and two cables <laughs> my goodness so that's that but when i think about you know what you know when i look at apple's problems right now um, and I think a lot of this traces back to Intel's inability to ship 10 nanometer. We've got 10 nanometer processors finally coming out from Intel this year. And I think there's a lot of confusion between Intel's 10 nanometer and what AMD is doing with 7 nanometer. The nanometer size doesn't matter. It's the transistors on the total die that matters. And Intel's 10 nanometer has got significantly more transistors per, I think it's millimeter, 
than what AMD's 7 nanometer process has. Mm -hmm. So even though 7 is smaller than 10, Intel's 10 nanometer is actually a really good bump up in uh, performance, and it's going to be way better long term than what AMD has. But if you look at all of Apple's products for the last four years, and you look at, you know, I've got a 2015, uh, I mean a 2018 MacBook Pro 15 inch sitting on my lap, this thing was designed for the 10 nanometer chip and not the 14 nanometer chip that's in it. And so the thermal, uh, you know, the thermal efficiency of both the fan design and the heat sinks and everything is built around this 10 nanometer chip that never existed that was supposed to go into this chassis wow. that this computer was supposed to launch with. And so we get into the situation, I'm a developer, I basically, I save files, I have processes that watch those files, and then they do a bunch of recompiling, and then my browser refreshes, hmm. you know, and this is a common workflow for, you know, a large amount of kind of developers out there, and what ends up happening with my computer is I go to my desk, I plug it into my monitors, and I close the lid. So it just kind of sits there. And then as it's doing this recompile every couple of seconds, as I save some more files and check my work, it heats up and it basically hits the thermal limit, my CPU thermal throttles, and then my work just gets slower and slower and then kind of hits a bottom point. Wow. Which is pretty sucky. So I'm like a sustained hit thermally. And then if you look at kind of the, um, the audio engineering workflow or the... Uh, the video editing workflow, instead of having these punchy high hits of like, hey, I need a burst of performance right now, mm. you have more of like a sustained level of performance, which I think the machine is a little bit better at handling. Right, right. Uh, a lower total amount of CPU draw, but then, you know, spread over a longer period of time. So I'm in this interesting situation where I want, you know, a great computer for my desk that's going to have a lot of performance, but the MacBook Pro just doesn't do it for me. And then your next option is like, you know, well, what, what about the iMac and I th or a Mac Mini? And I think the Mac Mini now became really the best computer in Apple's lineup. Uh, the side thing that really cracks me up is when they announced the, the new Mac Mini last year. Uh, they talked about how it came in space gray and that that was a feature that their Pro users really wanted. And then the Mac Pro comes out in silver. Yeah, that is really funny. <laughs> Which just kind of like cracks me up a little bit. But, you know, you've got the Mac Mini. You can throw, I think, up to a, um, I think it starts with a 6-core, and you can go up to, it starts with a quad-core, and you, you can upgrade up to a 6-core in there. Which is okay. And the price point there, if you just tack on the 6-core, the best 6-core that you can throw in there is 1300 bucks. And you can do your own memory upgrades later if you want exactly. to. You can swap in your RAM. Yeah. In post, you're just stuck with that configuration. That six cores. That six core and that storage. And it doesn't really have a graphics card right. on it. But you are able to use external graphics with the Mac yeah. Mini, which is probably what you would do in your case if you were Exactly. Like I would do the eGPU like I'm doing right now at work. Over Thunderbolt 3. Yeah, over Thunderbolt 3. But then the next gap to I and I have problems with kind of the, the next jumping point which is going into like an iMac or an iMac Pro right mm -hmm. which is well like you, nothing's upgradable basically at that point well some stuff is upgradable you can take the screen off you just need to not break the screen gotcha um, but the problem is no display can go next to that computer <laughs> right like 
And you're someone who uses multi-displays in your work, which is something I used to do as well. In audio engineering, I usually did two displays side by side. You usually use three I'm between three three to to four, four, depending upon what my preferred thing is that I'm working on. And you have all the same, so it's visually pleasing. It's not distracting to have, like, different things next to each other. And so if you were to buy an iMac, for example, and then throw two of your other displays next to it, it, they wouldn't even like visually flow together at all. Correct. So they're not going to visually look the same. And then you're dealing with like that panel situation. Can I find a display that's going to have a similar enough panel to this iMac or this iMac Pro display? And so some of that just becomes hard. So my first thought is like, well, just buy the iMac Pro and like put it under your desk and plug some (laughs) other displays into it. Oh my God. You know, but that just becomes really funny. So then The big things to talk about with the Mac Pro is really, I think, the price. Right. This price is almost shocking. It is shocking. It seems like it wouldn't be surprising for what Apple does when they release new products to market and kind of like, I feel like they generally raise the price point of products. Like they kind of did the whole flagship phone thing of like, we can charge you $1,000 for a phone and people are actually willing to pay for it. At the same time... $6,000 for a computer. Yeah, and that's entry level. And I'm not someone who wouldn't spend $6,000 on a computer, but to me at that point, that's a pretty beef spec. Yeah, it better be a really good computer. And you're going for 256 storage, Mm -hmm. eight-core Xeon in there. And there's a lot of stuff to talk about. So maybe um, I want to focus on potentially kind of the CPU side of all of this right. first. I think that's kind of the the important side. You've got... the Basically, the big difference, the big jump from the iMac to the new Mac Pro right. is, is, is the CPU. Is you've options. got a, a, a different... You've got a newer socket that Intel is doing um, with a larger, uh, a slightly larger CPU um, in terms of the actual size of it. It's still a Xeon W line, the work W for workstation, uh, this one's an 8-core, 16-thread. That's your base. It turbos up to 4 gigahertz, uh, which is pretty interesting. And there's some. if you go for some upgrades, you can get some that turbo up to 4.4. The next one goes up to 4.4. Hmm. Um, all of this stuff is really great. It's got a lot of cash, supports a lot of RAM. Yeah. The, the problem that I have is this CPU by itself, you know, is like, the, the performance per dollar, and you can go into Intel's Xeon W line, isn't really there. And this is, again, pointing to a lot of the problems with Intel at the moment, which is AMD has kind of been, you know, just completely demolishing Intel and, and moving the ball forward, both at the, kind of the server market and then also at kind of the high-end market with their Threadripper lines, where I can get, like, a 24 CPU core with 48 threads, Threadripper, yeah. for like two grand. Gotcha. For less than two grand. And right. Whereas, you know, the W series of chips, you know, if you're looking for something like that from a Xeon W, that's similar. The, the actual CPUs, we don't know the actual CPUs that are in this. We just kind of know the specs. So I'm mm-hmm. comparing them to, you know, whatever is closest. Yeah. You know, it's going to be north of that $2,000 price point just for the CPU. Right. And so we get into like this interesting situation where, and even if you look at Intel's top-end prosumer lines with like a Core i9, um, you're looking at you know significantly cheaper 
for more performance. And this, this skew only makes sense once you start going into the 24, 28 core. And I believe Intel's even got a 36 core that they're gonna, uh, that fits into the socket, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Or sorry, I think it's a 32 core, so it's 64 total threads. But the thing is, though that total, like, it seems like their upgrade path and what they're pushing for is people that really need a ton of CPU power right. with a good multi-threaded workload, mm-hmm. which for me, software development just isn't that. Really? Okay. Like, I need some cores yeah. that are really fast. Yeah. I don't need many cores that are not super fast individually, but very fast together. Yeah. Whereas the video market mm. and the audio market, they want many cores right. that are working together. Yeah. And so you have kind of this interesting thing where, you know, Apple lives on software developers, but what is the right machine for a software developer on Apple's platform? Right. Well, that's the question of the day, probably. No, not quite, but... And I just, I just don't know. Like, I don't think that, to me, you know, if I had the money to spend $6,000 on a Mac Pro, you know, and I could just blow it, no guilt... I probably would, but to me, what I what I really want is I want a machine that's upgradable, like the Mac Pro, that I can change out the CPU, the RAM, the storage, everything else. But then, runs Mac OS, and is easy to update, that I don't have to worry about. Right. And so there's you know some of these other things like doing a Hackintosh or running Mac OS as a virtual machine starts becoming really interesting because you can get in at this price, you know, at a significantly lower price point. You like, could get the same specs, basically. Yeah, I could get the same entry-level performance. Right. With more storage, a better graphics option, a better CPU for half the price, if not a third of the price. Yeah. You know, walk in out of Newegg or Amazon, two you know, $3, for two to $3,000. Yeah. Does it look like the Mac Pro? No. No, which it, could be a good thing. Again, which could be a, a if that good case thing. creeps you out. Yeah, if, if you, <laughs> you know, if you have triphobia, that that could be a good thing. But it it just becomes like this interesting. Well, Hackintosh is not an ideal situation from a software perspective. Like you're able to run Mac OS, which which is what we want. But if it's a Hackintosh situation you run into all the issues where you're not able to do updates like everything is you just don't want to brick your machine basically right. you're constantly scared of bricking your machine and i mean i don't know if you had a hackintosh back in the day but i did and that was super fun to build and run until one day someone else did a software update and then the machine wouldn't boot on because it kernel panicked right um, and it was like oh great and, you have to fix that and that stuff sucks yeah. you don't want that style of experience, which is why, you know, the third option, which is kind of nice, is running, you basically, you boot into a Linux distribution, and then you boot a VM of macOS, and then um, the nice thing about that is virtualization is really nice with, with passing through, and then you're not really dealing with the actual drivers for Hey, does macOS work well on my motherboard? Yeah. Does macOS work well on my chipset? Is it going to work with my Wi-Fi card or my internet? That's a really interesting... I actually haven't heard of that. That seems like that could potentially work if you don't mind doing that. 
running Linux and then booting into a VM and yeah. you would have the same user experience once you were booted into your virtual machine right. and then you could run the software you wanted and you, to run. And you can set it up so that it, it basically you don't see Linux. Hmm. So that it, it basically just boots into Mac OS pretty quickly. So there there's a lot of these options, but A, they, they require work. Yeah. You have to do stuff. You do get the joy of building the computer. And I think there's like this holy grail fourth option, which we don't know how how possible this will be, but if you could just buy the motherboard and the power supply <laughs> from Apple. That would be nice. You know, potentially through like a repair type process or through kind of a gray market type of, you know, you're there on Alibaba and people are selling <laughs> these these uh these Mac Pro motherboards and power supplies. So something that if you were to install Mac OS, it would recognize the hardware and Correct. it would treat everything as as it was like perfectly native to that environment Correct. and it would be fine. Because the, the case isn't the thing that really matters. Sure, yeah. The thing that matters is really it's this motherboard. Sure, yeah. And whatever, you know, Apple always does this, whatever pri proprietary power connections they're doing into the motherboard and mm -hmm. into the rest of the system. Mm -hmm. So Apple's really known that like, you know, go into an old cheese grater, and it's like there's nothing standard about that power supply right. and how it connects to the to the motherboard. Right, right. And so you're not looking at like a standard 24 pin or anything like that. Well, one of their selling points in their kind of presentation video for the so I call it the Johnny I video, but um, where they presented this this new Mac Pro was the whole engineering of the case and why they have all of the creepy holes in the front and the back and how the whole purpose behind that was to achieve greater thermal efficiency so that you could run your processor, for example, at greater levels. Yeah. Um, do you, like, you'd have to, obviously, if you did this holy grail fourth option, you'd have to figure out a way to keep everything cool. I don't know if you'd have to run, like, a water cooling system or yeah, something I mean, to keep that, like... There's still cooling options. I think Apple tries to always do this balance between keeping it cold and then also keeping the noise down. True, yeah. And Apple seems to always favor the noise. The noise yeah. They they would prefer to have less noise. That's why you almost never hear like your MacBook Pro like take off. Mm. Um, very rarely till it hits kind of that maximum thermal load is it like, okay, I'm gonna spin my fan to the max. Yeah. And so clearly they've they've optimized for noise and they said, you know, that it's as quiet as the iMac Pro, which is pretty quiet when it's under your desk, Yeah. which is a little bit of a different comparison between the iMac Pro being on your desk directly in front of you. Right. So, and, you know, we're just going to have to see what that's like. But it it's not hard to make a, a very quiet setup. Mm -hmm. I, I think the, the difficulty here is, you know, if you're a, a classic computer guy, and you want to upgrade your comp your Mac, you have to pay $6,000 for it. <laughs> just for the capability just of being able the, to upgrade it. <laughs> exactly. Just for the capability of being able yeah. to really upgrade it. Just to have the option. And I think that's maybe where kind of the next thing comes into play, which is if you look at, for instance, if we think about the markets that this product is trying to target, and then we think about its price point, I want to talk about the the price differential, and Amy, you had this great uh, thought process about potentially it's to like buffer the resell mm. value or to buffer the component well, cost. Well, it was the change in Apple's retail, seemingly retail strategy from 
the old cheese grater MacBook Pro, for example, and then they started from that time period. Even the old iMacs, you had accessibility to upgrade some of the things. Correct. Probably still had to take off the glass and stuff. But and, and even the old MacBook Pro computers, you mm-hmm. had the ability to access some things and change some of the stuff out. But they slowly moved towards having everything soldered on Correct. or basically in-upgradable or non-upgradable um, stuff for all the different models of computer to the point where... Now, when you, we have this mindset going in, we're going to buy a laptop, it doesn't have upgradable storage, it doesn't have upgradable RAM, and certainly doesn't have upgradable processor. And so mm-hmm. we know going in, this MacBook Pro has a very limited shelf life. Like, it's going to last for a certain amount of time, right. and at some point, I'm just going to buy a new one, and that's right. just going to be what I have to do. That's my upgrade path. Up, yeah, that's your upgrade path. And so that's great for Apple, because they know that every three to seven-ish years you're going to want the upgraded computer because everything's going to start running slower. Right. And so they have that kind of re-recycling revenue. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, if they start offering an upgrade, um, a machine that allows you to upgrade these items, they're not going to have that sale every three years. So that could be, that, that was a theory behind yeah. that, was that potentially that could be a way to recover revenue is we'll have a high price point up front and, you know, that kind of holds... <laughs> holds the line a little bit. Exactly. And so what what I would do and what a lot of people do, like you can do this on the Mac Mini right now, is you buy the Mac Mini with 8 gigs of RAM, mm. and then you go to Amazon or Newegg, and you buy some new Sodom slot, you know, P- RAM, and you get more than 8 gigs of RAM. Right, right. And you're able to circumvent Apple's tax on that hardware upgrade. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that happens is, Kind of to your point, when you go and you buy a Mac now, you almost, you pay, you you jump for the spec that your long-term value of that product is actually going to need. Right, right. So you're not you, going to buy the lowest grade exactly. of something because you, if you're in a something that uses a lot of hardware capacity, you're going to yeah. need something that has... If you're in a, in a pro type of situation, yeah. you're going to shell out at that point for the CPU upgrades, the RAM upgrades, the storage upgrades, the graphics upgrades. Right. But with this computer, you know, my thought process going in with whatever the new Mac Pro was, because it was going to be upgradable, is, oh, I'm going to buy the cheap one. Exactly, right. (laughs) I'm going to buy the cheap one, and then I'm just going to throw out all the parts that come in it, I'm going to put those on eBay, and then I'm going to buy a better CPU, some better RAM, some better storage, and put, you know, whatever graphics card that I want to use at the time inside of it. Yeah. But now with that price point being six grand, mm. it's almost like Apple is saying, hey, we know you're going to do this, <laughs> so we're going to get your money still. Right. And then you're, you're stuck. You, you, don't have another, you don't have another path within Apple's ecosystem. Yeah. No matter how much you like macOS, you're just stuck with whatever people, you know, Apple decides to put in front of you, which right. is this computer. And so it's kind of sad. I think the other thing that's really interesting to me um, is how this uh, the spec and the cost kind of, I alluded to this, fits into their kind of market segmentation. Mm. And if you look at, for instance, um, so the software industry is deadline driven, but it's not deadline driven like the movie industry right. or an audio based industry. Right. Now, obviously, the film industry has audio as well. You know, you've got some music stuff as well that's kind of not film-driven. 
but you're you're deadline driven and a lot of times the individual using the equipment does not own the equipment right and so the company pays for that expense they're like we know that we need this equipment and we know that we've got this deadline to produce this film in eight months, 12 months, that we've got to work on it. Yeah. And so you work for a production house and, and usually the production house owns the equipment mm -hmm. for the production. They, the, whether it's for video editing or for audio editing, like post-production, all those different things, the, or even in the music industry, in the recording studio and then post-production for recording as well, that studio owns the equipment. That's just how that works. Yep. And the, the thing that's happened in that market is prices have continued to skyrocket, for especially for hardware, because of the whole ASIC principle, which is the application-specific integrated circuits. Whenever you have something that isn't generic and needs to go through a design process, we got to produce some specific hardware to accomplish a specific task. Mm -hmm. And our prime example for this, if you look at like Red's cameras, yeah. Red's cameras are very expensive. Yeah. They're very expensive because they have a really tiny market. Okay. Not, you know, your grandma doesn't need a, a red, red camera, camera <laughs> to film some grandkids. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, there's probably some grandma out there that's using like a red weapon to film her grandkids <laughs> and like, good on you. But like, that's not the, the average person. So what they do is they, they increase the kind of the price point. It's kind of your supply and demand type of graph, and sure. then you move price till supply and demand meets. Right. And because these film houses or these production houses um, are running under this tight budget constraint, and then they purchase the hardware and they own it, a lot of times they even lease the hardware or wow. even rent the hardware. Sure. You know, a red camera at, you know, 15 grand, 20 grand for your full setup, and then you've got more accessories, you know, you could be walking out with. You know, just to operate a single red camera, you know, 60K. Yeah, of, crazy. Of separate accessories. And at that point, it makes a lot of sense. You can see Apple's mindset a little bit here with the price. But when you think of, like, for me as a, as a developer, you know, a lot of developers are working at smaller startups. They've got a side hustle going or whatever. Um, I've worked at several startups where I owned my computers, right. and I've worked at uh, companies where, like the one right now, where my company owns my laptop. Right. But, you know, they, they were trying to find the cheapest, you know, spec that would do the job that I needed to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was a little bit of a conversation to go, hey, can I get this particular spec of this particular model because it was a higher spec than what they typically purchased for someone in my role. Right. And that's because they're in startup land. Yeah, exactly. They don't have a ton of cash and a ton of capital that they can just dump on something like a Mac Pro. And we look at, you know, my 15-inch MacBook Pro here, okay? Maybe that's uh, like $2,800 per employee. You got some benefits there by doing it on your company credit card. So you get some cash back and you become a... Um, you get that business supplier with Apple, so you chop 5% off of the Apple tax. Yeah. You know, there's ways of, like, cutting some of the corners. But, you know, then saying, hey, you know, what I would really like is this, 
$6,000, you know, Mac Pro that I'm going to stick under my desk. And then I need like another two or three grand to like throw some better parts inside of it. Right. You know, that isn't a great equation. Right. And it's like there's just this disconnect, I feel like, between Apple and software developers. Interesting. I think they understand content creators. Right. Um, but it's like they're missing the... You know, they're missing the work role that exists inside of their own company. Right, exactly. You know, they're a company built of software developers. Obviously, they've got hardware developers as well and designers and everything else. But it's a company built on developing two major operating systems and shipping new releases of that every single year. It's interesting because it is a huge use case for all of their pro hardware it would be software developers. Like, there's probably more software developers using Apple products than yep. content creators, and that's exactly. probably actually that's probably actually true. But from the looks of what they're doing with, like you're saying, kind of that specified user specified role or the ASIC approach to mm-hmm. their development of their product, that it's it's like they didn't have a software developer in mind, and so they're not the, the computers. The computer can do what you want to do, but the price point doesn't make it right. practical for a software developer. Yeah, the, the price point doesn't fit me, and it, it, it turns into like this interesting equation. When I look at the previous Mac Pro, mm-hmm. starting at three grand, right. I look at the trash can before that at 2400 mm-hmm. as a base starting point. Those become very great, you know, kind of skews and price points for. A software developer. Right. You know, we're already looking at paying that much for a MacBook, mm-hmm. and you're going to get significantly more out of it at that point. But but you, if you were to look at that personally, is that a route you would actually want to go down? Probably not, I right? Mean, I can't. Yeah. I, I don't think that, you know, when I think I, I moved away from the the old cheese grater. Right. Because the, when Apple brought out the new... Uh, the new refresh for the MacBook Pro with the four Thunderbolt ports, you know, they said it'll run four 4K monitors, which is what I was running at the time. And I was like, cool. And I went down that path. It was okay. It was kind of buggy. Um, it was kind of slow and freezy. And then eventually I got an integrated GP, uh, an external GPU. And that made, made life a lot better. Right. But I could never go down the, uh, the trash can iMac, uh, the trash can Mac Pro route, mostly because Apple was very shy about connecting four 4K displays to it. They only had three Thunderbolt 2 controllers and an HDMI 1.4 port. I and believe. they never went Thunderbolt 3 on the. They, they never trash went Thunderbolt version. 3 on the trash can. That's interesting. And they could have. Yeah. Um, and so that you, could have made a difference. That could have made never a did difference. It, so. And I think that could have been fine. I think they. The thing that was so interesting about the trash can, um, and this. I think explains a lot of what they did with this Mac Pro was they almost thought maybe too much about the software developer role. Okay. Because the expandability um, and the the ability to put um, ASIC cards into that was zero. You couldn't drop, you know, anything by Red or Black Magic or anything at all that you had in your previous cheese grater into the new 
trash can Mac Pro. Right, right, right. So all of your your application specific integrated circuits that you were using before, right, uh, for whatever your work was, you know, did not work at all. And for me, from as a software developer, I care less about those things. Sure. You know, like they don't really affect me at all. Like. I would love it if there was some, you know, card that allowed me to have, you know, a thousand tabs of Chrome open and run multiple instances of Slack, but like that doesn't exist. Right. Um, so for me, it didn't matter. And so I looked at the, the trash can for a long time and really I wanted one, but then I hit this kind of road bump with the total number of displays that I wanted to run. Exactly. And the resolution to be more specific. But it's, it's almost like they, they swung back from that and they went, okay, you know, pro people, they want to put cards and things in their computer. But I think it's not just pro people. I think it's, you know, regular, I wouldn't say regular, but I think there's other pro segments that, you know, want to customize their hardware. And I think the, the entry point at 6K is just too much. Yeah, super high. And to circle around, I don't know, I just wanted to make the point you are talking at the beginning of that section just kind of about the idea that a, a content creating or a production house, for example, a lot of times they own the equipment and how for them, because of the industry that they're in, for example, the film industry, they're able to make high investment in their equipment that runs and does their specific thing that they needed to do for like right. video processing and video editing, for example, um, then they're able to put that investment in because they also have a long-term use of that equipment and yep. they have a high budget to deal with. They're able to have yep. the budget to put towards this different these different items and their company and their business model and structure is just very different from a software development company. Yeah, it's very it's very different. And you, you would think that Apple would see that, but because they're predominant, like Apple sells hardware that runs right. their software. Right, which is interesting. You know, they see their bottom line not so much being affected in that manner. Right. Um, I think the the next thing uh, that I want to talk about really is um, kind of around what they're doing for their graphics cards. And I think that we're seeing Apple, I think, overreach a little bit or, or step too far. Yeah, this is interesting. S- similar to... The trash can where um, Phil Schiller said that they ended up painting themselves in a in a corner with the thermal limits to it, and they weren't really able to upgrade it and do what they wanted to. Right. You know, go figure. AMD cards run hot and kind of suck. Apple is introducing this MPX, which um, is is kind of like this. In essence, if, think about it like, you know, you've got your PCI Express slots. Right. And then immediately behind your PCI Express slot, kind of in that same row, you have another slot. And they they call it like an extra PCI Express slot almost in some of their... Um, in some of their kind of media that they're putting out. And they call it... Um, MPX, which is like this Mac Pro expansion or graphics module. The thing that's interesting about it, it's kind of hard. I'm like trying to make gestures, and I know this is a radio show. And well, it just you have like work. you have the slot, but then doesn't it also include like 
an internal, because it's inside the machine, it includes an enclosure that allows yeah. you to add items. Yeah, well, no. no. So the enclosure is like the whole unit, but whole it, unit. it plugs into two slots gotcha. that are, you know, on the same track. So right. it's not like it's using two parallel PCI slots. Okay. You know, and it's like, I'm going to take up two slots on two of the PCI Express there's um, an extra slot. There's an extra slot behind at it. At the end of it, yeah. At the end of it. And and what that slot is doing is it's providing the power pass-through. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the reason why the power pass-through thing is really interesting is typically graphics cards, they've got several 6-pin uh, or 8-pin uh, power connectors right. on the card. On the card itself. It's not next to the PCIe slot. Right. It's, it's like around the... Yeah. And it's separate. And mm-hmm. the... They kind of handled this in a cheeky way with the old cheese grater one, which is they had these really short little six-pin cables, and they had like a little a, a six-pin on the motherboard that you would plug it into, and then you have this short little cable that then plugs into the top of the uh, the graphics card. Right. That was cool. That worked well. Um, but the the coy thing here is they're saying that this extra slot now behind it is going to be responsible for the power. Okay. For that graphics card. Right. And it it's also going to give it the Thunderbolt 3, which is a, it's based off of the PCI Express controller and also potentially a chipset that's on the CPU. We're not entirely sure whether it's a separate chipset or the CPU that's got the, uh, the Thunderbolt 3, but there's some pass-through happening there yeah. so that it's got Thunderbolt 3 ports on the graphics card itself for your displays. But the long-winded you know, thing that I'm circling around to is I don't know if you can plug just a Vega 64 off the shelf into this computer and have it work. Really? Because there might not be available power. Because there may not be available power in the way that you're expecting it. And Apple isn't showing this thing off with the lid off of it. Because they're saying buy this MPX solution and you can put two graphics cards in it. And you can also, they have two of these MPX slots so you could run... Right two of these units to get four graphics cards Correct. is their use case for it. But they're not saying that you could do that without this unit because obviously this is one of the things. So I'd be, right. That's actually really interesting. And, and that so could be true. It becomes really interesting yeah. whether I'm, you know, a regular user is going to be able to just take an off-the-shelf AMD card and stick it in there. I think the next thing um, that we're going to see with this, so... We'll talk about the dual GPU option where they stick two GPUs on one card. AMD's done this for like since the beginning of time, you know. So it's like a common AMD thing that they do with kind of end of the run um, cards. This is at a pro level, which is really interesting. Hmm. I think that's going to be super awesome and is a great way to like really amp up the the GPU power of the machine. Yeah. But the the thing that I'm just cautious about is you know if you want some actual graphics performance you have two options by default this thing's going to come with a radeon pro 5080x which is a really gimpy graphics card i mean a 5080 has been out for like maybe three or four years now Mm. you know it's not a vega card um and so like it's just it's an old card it says that it's got two HDMI 2.0 ports and four DisplayPort connections routed to the system support internal Thunderbolt 3 ports, which to me means it's using 
that slot, that MPX slot, to basically send the graphics power to the the four Thunderbolt ports that's on the machine already. Right, right. We'll talk about you know their I/O a little bit later, but so to me it really sounds like in a nutshell that you're not going to be able to put a regular graphics card in this computer and have it just do the thing that you want it to. I, I think you're going to be like, man, how do I get power going to this? Right. And then you're going to have to do what I did with my cheese grater, which was have a second power supply powering my two graphics cards, uh, which was janky and like really sucked, and you had to sync them and turn them all on at the same time. It was super annoying. I think you're going to have to do like one of those types of things, which is really going to suck. Yeah. I think Apple is going to charge a boatload for an MPX card. Yeah. They're just going to crank up the cost there. Um, and I think that's going to be like the number one thing that people want is they're going to want a better graphics card. Right, and they're right. going to be like, man, I wouldn't, I would be not, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if this MPX card is going to be several grand for a Pro Vega 2. Like I wouldn't, I would, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like four to six grand for one of these. So I might have misunderstood uh, what what I saw during the video presentation, but I thought this MPX thing was a situation where you could add your own cards to it if you purchase that extra module. No, no, this is a customizable or a custom ordered unit Correct. depending on it's what you want. It's a full unit. Gotcha. It, it basically I didn't that. it takes up four slots. Three of those slots is just basically heat sink and then one slot it's really long i mean it looks like it almost runs the whole width of the the machine it runs you know i would say 70 percent of the whole length sorry yeah. the length of the the machine so these are really long they screw in yeah um interesting and i i think you know the graphic situation on the the mac pro is just going to be really interesting we'll just see what it does, I think the other thing that was really interesting is they've got some fins on top as well. So way back in the SLI days, um, when you're running two of these MPX cards kind of next to one another, you're going to have to stick a bridge on top of them, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. And it kind of leads nicely into the IO conversation. I think the IO on the... The Mac Pro is really interesting. I have the input-output. It's the thing that I think Apple has always done the best. The thing that I love the most about my MacBook Pro is it has four Thunderbolt, three ports, and a headphone jack, and that's it. Yeah. It's got two on each side. Yep. Apple's ports are always, like, perfectly placed. They're always, like, in perfect alignment. You know, it, it, I'm sorry, if you have an iPhone... Uh, 10s, just look at your bottom grill, and then they like ruined it. Uh, if you have an iPhone 10, it's fine. But like the, the the way that Apple does holes and extrusions into a chassis, especially with ports, is just perfect. Now the previous the cheese grater, I thought was great. The way that it handled it was you had a power button, some USBs, some FireWire, and an audio jack on the front. Right. On this, what it has is on the top of the machine is the power button and two Thunderbolt 3s. Okay. And there's nothing on the front. There's nothing on the front. Interesting. And then on the back, you now the machine just by itself, on the back, it has a power outlet and two 10 gig Ethernet ports. And technically speaking, 
That's it. Right. It's interesting. Which is weird. Now, if you're a usual PC guy and you've seen a computer or whatever, a motherboard usually has got a like a little section nice of it. Nice little panel on the A back. nice panel that's <laughs> devoted to I.O. Right. Sometimes with like 5.0 surround, if you're... On, if your uh, CPU supports onboard graphics, lots of uh, USB ports, and things of that nature. Now, this computer, which this is a good aspect of it, technically has nine PCI Express slots. Okay. Eight are full length, and one at the very top, the ninth one, there, and it's PCI Gen 4, which is really cool. It means everything's going to be twice as fast as Gen 3, hmm. which is sick, but the actual card has to be Gen 4. Now, at the very top, they include uh, another expansion card. Okay. And this one gives you, they call it a one-half length. It's a 4 by PCI Express Gen 3 card, and they call it an Apple I.O. card. And this is just <laughs> the funniest thing. It's like a dongle. Like, Apple gives you a, a dongle. <laughs> and on this card is two more Thunderbolt 3 ports. Um... Two more USB-A ports. This is, sorry, not two more. The only two USB-A ports, which I could care less about, yeah. but I know it's important to have some. And an, a headphone jack. But, so, five more ports. This comes with a base I mean, model? Six, yeah, five more ports. This, this comes with the base model. It sounds like this comes with every model. But the thing that's so cheesy to me is Apple does ports well. And I think they like they totally missed it. Now I get the the separation. Have some ports on the front, some ports on the back. You know, separate areas. Well, there's no ports in the front, literally. But it's just there's, on top. there's no ports on the front, and the ports are on top. Right. And to me, I'm like, man, hot dang, these ports should be on the front. You know, I'm a super like you put your ports on the front of the tower. I know some people, especially if you put your tower on the ground next to your desk, the ports on the top plus the power button. I think is probably a little bit nicer. Sure, sure. Because instead of having to reach down to the front, you're just tapping on the top. Yeah, it's a little higher. But if you're someone that keeps it inside of the desk with like the special yeah, tower cubby and you like push it the in desk, there. Or because your Mac Pro is beautiful and you're the only cool person at the company that somehow convinced your boss to spend at least $6,000 <laughs> on it. You're going to put that big boy on, on top, top of your, of your desk, desk. <laughs> with wheels and you're going to be like, look at my Mac Pro. It's so much better right. than yours. Um, and then and you have to reach up and over to exactly. turn it on. And then you have to reach up. Reaching the front. And then I think you get the awkward thing with, with top uh, ports, which is the, the cable goes up it in goes the up air. up the side of the case. Right? You know, and like you have like these cables that are going to dangle over and stuff. I realize you've got a slightly different awkward situation when it's in the front. Sure, but when sure. we talk about the back, now the... Imagine for a second, the power supply is at the bottom of the box, which is nice. Power's at the bottom. Yep. Then you've got eight slots of PCI Express. Sure. And then your ninth slot is your I.O. It's kind of like in the middle, near the top. I don't know. It's almost at the top, and it's so separated from, like, everything else. To me, you know, the way that I think Apple should have done this is this stuff is just integrated. Sure, into the right. into the motherboard and it's nicely coming out with the two ethernet jacks and the power adapter 
down there at the bottom, kind of all grouped together. Yeah, when you do cable management, it's way more convenient to have everything right. coming out in the same area. I think the only the only argument against that, which is probably why Apple chose to put it at the top, is just the fact that this module, because it is a module of, you call it Gen 3, PCIe short slot or whatever yeah. it is, um, that someday they'll probably release a different module depending right. on the I.O. of the times and or maybe custom modules if you're wanting maybe all Thunderbolt 3 ports instead of uh, USB-A's, you yeah. don't need them. Like maybe you're able to customize like, it that way. I think all of that is cool and great. I'm still mad. <laughs> like... To me, I'm still very much of the notion that, like, you want the... Your main core ports yeah, to be in the same area. you want your main core ports area, sure. to be in the same area. Right. And, like, cool, if you've got this another expansion slot where you're going to get some ports, awesome. And I also think four Thunderbolt 3 ports is, like, just too little. Yeah, that doesn't seem like very much for for that. Yeah, whereas if well, it they, was, Do they expect you to do... The graphics out of that rear Thunderbolt three, or they no, expect I mean, you to add your I, graphics. And I mean, that's a, that's an interesting that. situation. Yeah. You know, if it if it turns into you know you can't run your you know a cheapo graphics card inside of this without going through Apple. The only way that you can really run an, a cheapo graphics card is in an external enclosure via Thunderbolt three. You know, then you then you have three ports left. <laughs> then you have three ports left. Right. And it's like, I would have liked to see, you know, four, if not, I mean, six, if not eight ports. I think the thing that's really interesting is when you look at the the iMac Pro, uh, I'm just going through their website to try to get to their, their I.O. I'm pretty sure you've got, uh, where is it? Come on. Yeah, you've got four USB-A's and four Thunderbolt 3's. Nice. An SD card slot on the back of it. The ports are meticulously vertically lined up. Yeah. It's beautiful. There's so much symmetry there. Yeah. They've got and, eight USB yeah, slots. Yeah. In essence, you've got eight plus an SD card right, slot. Right. And to me, I'm like pro workflows. You know, this would be great to have SD card on the top, add some more USB ports, add some more Thunderbolt 3. It's just kind of disappointing that we're in this situation. Was there a, th a headphone yeah, jack a, output next to there, the power button? Nope. No. The The only headphone jack is in the back. So that that's on that special card thing? That's on thing. the special okay. card. Interesting. Okay. Uh, again, probably like... And again, <laughs> it, it talks to the market that they're yeah. targeting. Right. You're going to have a... You're going to have like your... Either your studio monitors for audio playback right. like kind of routed to going the back. Going through some DSP. Or you're going to have some type of thing. Again, if you had headphones you're going to listen to, there'd be like pre-routed with a jack sitting on your desk or something. So you... you it's not kind of like a plug and, and play and go. At the same time, in a normal office environment, it's probably pretty standard that you would want a headphone jack on your computer because you're going to want to be wired in to be able to focus in a noisy... Yeah. open office concept that's so popular in today's yeah. workplace, but you're going to have to reach around behind to plug your headphones in. But I think for a lot of people, they're going to have a DSB or some kind of external audio interface. That's but a software developer, for yeah, example. Like <laughs> for me as a software developer, right. you know, I'm not going to have that. 
I think the the interesting thing is at the bottom they list out some kits and accessories here, and they talk about the um, they talk about the graphics modules. They say that they're going to sell you kits of RAM, eight gigs, sixteen, thirty-two, sixty-four gigs. They're going to sell you storage as well by itself. These are a little M.2 modules from the what it appears like, but I'm not entirely sure. I guess we'll see. Um, and then they've got some other <clears throat> accessories, like you can buy the wheels for the Mac Pro. How much are those? I don't know. <laughs> Price to be oh, announced. I wouldn't be surprised if the wheels are like two or three. I was thinking like one fifty, maybe two hundred. <laughs> two hundred or three hundred dollars. Um, they they have uh, what they call the Apple Thunderbolt three Pro cable. Oh, interesting. In different lengths, I don't know what. That's makes it pro. different than their normal yeah. free cable. And, and the funny one is the Apple USB-C to Lightning Pro cable, which, wow. again, is interesting. What's going to be so pro about that? Yeah, probably. what's the difference between that and a normal one? And a normal one. This kind of pivots nicely to talk about the other big pro thing that they announced, uh, which is the cool display. Yeah. Um, Let's and, talk about this. The $5,000 display, display. A $5,000 display. That doesn't come with a stand. That doesn't come with a stand. This was my favorite moment of the keynote. So they're basically, they're talking about the, they're talking about the display and then they're going through the prices and they're like, hey, we have this cool display. It's $5,000. And then we made this great Vesa mount for it as well. It's 200 bucks. And everyone's like, oh, cool. Yeah, $200. And they're like, and then the stand is a thousand dollars and the audience was like oof like they they like made the like i got punched in the face sound you know and it was just like oh my gosh dude this totally this sucks it really does oh my goodness i i can't believe that they kind of missed it this much and again it's Kind of you're probably going to want to, in a pro workflow, very, very likely, you're going to want to at least dual display. Mm -hmm. So that's that's ten grand right there just to get your, your panels. Yeah. And then, you know, you're going to have to find your own way of mounting, mounting it. Mounting, depending, you know. VS and VESA mounts of some kind. But still, like, ten and grand. I, I mean, I realize it's 6K per panel, and that's amazing. Like, and oh, talk these about displays the, are amazing. There was like some specs about it. I actually didn't catch that part of the presentation, but they were talking about the technology behind the the the. They had like the reference monitor. They're saying it's yeah. reference monitor quality. quality level. Yeah, which, which again is a is a video production situation or use case, but. And I think all of that stuff is like really great and yeah. interesting. Like I love the the concept and the idea that this panel is going to be very lifelike. To me as a designer... Right. Yes, you, you like, know, you appreciate that I, I want the colors to be as best as possible. Yeah. I have run into lots of situations, and I think everybody goes through this, is they work on their nice Apple display with their P3 color gamut, and it's beautiful and awesome, and then they take that and they plug it into a projector and do a presentation of their design to stakeholders, and the colors look absolutely horrible, and then you go, hey, wait, but on your display, it's going to look nice. Right. You know, so you do kind of get in, into that sense where it kind of tricks you. Yeah. With its quality. But, I mean, we've got a a thirty one a 32-inch 6K display. Really cool. It, 
great colors. The contrast ratio isn't that great. It's a, it's a million to one, which has been done for like the last at least 10 years. So it's not, not like a crazy contrast ratio. They brag about how it has an, 100 nits of sustained brightness, but that's the requirement for HDR within the spec of HDR hmm. of high dynamic range. Your display has to do 100 nits of sustained brightness okay. and like you can go buy an HDR display for like $500 gotcha. right now or a grand Sure. and it'll do that. So it, to me, it, 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 again, it seems like, you know, Apple is saying because they've pulled all these special things together, they're going to charge the, the Apple premium for it. And again, I think it kind of misses the boat from a, um, you know, it, it's so focused on content creation and I think not as focused on kind of the developer side of things. And this is what I like about kind of Microsoft's approach. They've been doing a lot of uh, three by two monitor aspect ratios. Right. Yeah, that is something they do a lot. Which to me is like a much better ratio. What is it? This it's not the Surface Pro. What's their like iMac they call, competitor? Surface Studio. Surface Studio. So that was interesting when that came out because that along with in comparing that with this monitor and the thousand dollar add on stand that you can get with it. Right. Comparing that to the Surface Studio, I think similar. it's kind of similar. Like the whole idea that you can kind of move it effort, effort, effortlessly. Um and then, like, have the ability to do that, and the the color reproduction, the quality of the image is, is similar. I think it was only a four K display, five K, four K, it's a four K display. So that you know, Apple upped the ante a little bit on that. But the ran the, the big difference between those two things is that the Surface Studio was a touchscreen, right? And this which is, is not- like. Wow, and then what was the price point of the, the Surface Studio? I mean, you can get a Surface Studio, I think, for like thirty two hundred. Like, and so that's just another hole. I know. Not everyone's interested in having their screen be a touch screen, but I think it's a super interesting comparison. The fact that you could spend thirty five hundred, you could spend six grand on this monitor, so it's not even a computer; it's the monitor, right? With a stand, yeah. Or you could spend thirty five hundred for a full computer setup with the display, a with the stand, and touch screen capability, which could be interesting depending on on what your you know your work exactly. your work field is, but. And it's, it's just like, you know, why, why does Apple have to play with my heart and emotions <laughs> like this? I'm just constantly like, you know, sure, I would love to have, and they even showed it on a demo, uh, so like, more like a slide, <laughs> of four of these monitors oh plugged into, into a Mac Pro. And wow. I'm like, oh, I'm swooning right now. I would love to have... Four vertical. Just $24,000 with the monitors and stands. Or you probably have to say yeah. stand, but like. <laughs> like, I, I would love Ooh. that. But, like, I, I just, I can't think of spending that kind of money on my, on my workflow. Right, right. Like, it, it doesn't match, you know, what I would think would be. A, a pro level price point. Right. You, I think you, you could get something similar. Obviously, it's not the same. It doesn't fully compare, but you could get something similar for almost half the cost. And oh, that's yeah. the same for the computer and the display. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's going to be hard to find a 6K display. Sure, sure. Like, cool. 
Yeah, that's hard. But... But Apple sold a 5K display from right. LG for a long period of time. Sure. For like 1500 bucks. Right. And now it makes 1500 bucks. Look amazing. Look amazing. <laughs> Which like, maybe that's part of their strategy. But they're, they're not selling that one anymore. But I think it really is their strategy here. Is it's... And the funny thing is, like, right at the bottom, it shows you uh, on the product page for the Pro Display, it rotating vertical and showing a bunch of code. And it's like nobody's going to spit. Like, I know there's people out there, like, everybody in Cupertino has, like, <laughs> rotated their $6,000, you know, their, sorry, $5,000 displays with their $1,000 stand has been rotated vertical to, like, read their code. But, like, I... I I don't think I'm going to be able to do that ever in my life. And it's just so depressing. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's coming next. Apple financing. I don't know, Did they well, announce it at WWDC? Well, they've got their, their credit card. Their credit card. So that was supposed that to be... That was earlier like, this year. Okay, that was earlier this year. That, so that's but released. But this is... Financing is going to be massive on, on these guys. Yeah. Like, that's probably going to be... That's a whole other side of, of Apple's business mm -hmm. that... We don't even take into account in regards to the price point on these things. The price point is out of reach for many people. So the yeah. only way people are going to, quote unquote, be able to afford to get their hands on it is to go down, you know, the, the financing route, which yeah. is not ideal. The financing route, it's not ideal. I think a lot of people are going to go down that route, especially because it's kind of zero percent. And you're going to be thinking about these longer terms. But to even get approved for that kind of financing. Sure. Like, yeah, I mean, you're looking at What bank grand. are you going to walk into and go, hey, can I get a $40,000 loan <laughs> for my spec'd out Mac Pro and a couple displays? Right. Like, what bank is going to be like, yeah, you know, when you came in earlier in the week and you wanted that RAV4 for 32 grand, we said no, but like... This, this Mac Pro, yeah, we're going to give you a $40,000. Like, you know, like, what it, like a regular person isn't going to be able to necessarily walk out with a loan. Right. I was thinking more along the terms of, of the Apple store financing and, and their partnership with Yeah, things. I mean, they're but going through a bank still. Right. And they're going to check your personal credit. Sure, sure. Are they going to give you, like... Yeah, who knows? That much of a loan? I don't think so. Yeah. And, like, I remember... We, we've done the financing thing through Apple a couple times, and it's like, you know, ah, I don't know. Just so many thoughts. I, I think finally the kind of the, the tail end of this is it, is it makes the rest of Apple's lineup look cheap. <laughs> and maybe that's what they wanted, um, but it makes the rest of their lineup look really cheap. It makes me want to switch to a Windows computer and spend less money to get more performance and it makes it hard for me to justify like it, it makes to me mac os the most expensive operating system in the world even though it's free yeah that's tweetable and i think that's kind of where it ends and we didn't even talk about the fact that this computer is ugly and i think it's disgusting oh my gosh not impressed visually, guys. Not impressed at all. I think it's super ugly. It does have that Apple thing where, like, you want it, but, like, I think I just think it's ugly. It's ventilation holes. Do you want to see them? Oh, man. <laughs>
It's like you meet a computer at the bar, and it's like, hey, let me show you my ventilation holes, you know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning into this podcast. We're excited to be bringing you episodes approximately every week. So be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on what you thought about this show. We are Isaac and Amy, and we enjoy talking about many different things, technology being one of them, and especially when there's big tech events like WWDC and the like happening, you will hear a lot of our content probably focus around that, but we look forward to staying in touch, and yeah, any final words? I don't know. $5,000 for the computer? Like, or 4K? $4,000? Apple give you $4,000. If it was $4,000, I'd probably do it. You know? Ugh. That's my final thoughts. Just drop a couple grand off the price, and I'll buy it. Done. <sighs> Goodbye. <laughs>